You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today I have with me David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're going to talk about a topic that I think is certainly very important but often underrated, and that's the complications and the difficulties associated with alcohol withdrawal. So thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. It, it's um, kind of a sad topic that, that leads us to this, um, but certainly one that brings up why I felt like it was something we should bring back on the air. Um, many of you may have heard that Nelson Ellis, um, an actor who, who was um, made famous in the um, HBO show True Blood, passed away this week. Um, he, he passed away from complications from alcohol withdrawal. Um, we know this from a, a letter that was released by his father, which, which I um, am very grateful that his father has, has made these steps to make this publicly more aware, um, because we know that this happens quite a bit. But in recent times, whenever you hear about somebody dying um, for a drug-related situation, the thought is immediately opiates, and the thought is, is heroin, and it's an overdose, and you hear about a celebrity passing, and, and that's automatically the assumption um, but for years in, in the field of addiction, when we talked about the reality that addiction kills, what we were talking about was, was alcohol-related um, deaths, and, and that's really kind of taken um, a backseat because of it, but it really needs to not because, because they are so crucial. So I actually wanted to just share the letter that, that Nelson's father published and yes, then please. open up the conversation at that point. Um, Nelson's father bravely agreed for me to share the circumstances of Nielsen's heart failure. Nielsen had suffered with drugs and alcohol abuse for years. After many stints in rehab, Nielsen attempted to withdraw from alcohol on his own. According to his father, during his withdrawal from alcohol, he had a blood infection, his kidneys shut down, his liver was swollen, his blood pressure plummeted, and his dear sweetheart raced out of control. Um, and then the next morning he was pronounced dead from from congestive heart failure secondary to the alcohol withdrawal um and, and it's you know it's it's sad to to lose another phenomenal actor and to lose another young person but the the bravery of his father to really make public um the circumstances of this um because it is so real and to ask that this serve as a warning to others I think that one of the things I'm most, well, not surprised about, but that I hear quite often when people come in for treatment and their drug of choice is alcohol, they're very surprised when I start asking them a bunch of medical questions and we certainly are taking their vital signs and we're going through a a particular series of questions called the CWA or the clinical um, intoxication withdrawal scale that we use to measure the severity of a person's withdrawal. And I'm talking to them about how serious this is and bringing in family members and making sure that the family member recognizes the symptoms of withdrawal and recognizes what to do if the 
their loved one begins to exhibit some of these symptoms, they look at me like I'm kind of crazy. They don't seem to understand, and I don't think most people understand, that while opiate withdrawal is terrible, and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, alcohol withdrawal can and often does kill people. That people are very worried about getting medical help if they're using opiates, but they're not worried at all about suddenly stopping alcohol. The other medication or drug that fits into this category is benzodiazepines, things like Xanax and Valium or Clonopin, Ativan, these drugs too. But today, um, and they need good medical supervision and often hospitalization to be able to manage it. But alcohol is probably the most frequent cause of serious problems related to withdrawal. And most people aren't aware of that, and they're not thinking about that. And we see problems all the time. You know, most people have taken breaks from alcohol. Right. When, you, when they come in and they're being forced to have an assessment or, or a family member has finally gotten them to come in and talk, and you ask them about when's the last time they went for a number of days without drinking, many of them will say, oh, I quit for 30 days all the time. And, and so they have this thought in their head that they're not one of those people who's going to have a seizure. They, they feel like I've quit for 30 days and I made it, I quit for Lent, I quit for whatever occasion. And so... Um, they're, they're saying it to minimize their drinking at all, but they're also saying it to minimize the, the, the concern that they might have a real serious um, impact from it. And, and like you said, in, in the discussion with them, we begin asking them about a, a lot of other things, night sweats, um, tremors, if there is any history of seizure, um, with, the, with the real knowledge that, that if they've had these symptoms before, it's likely to be worse as with each consecutive time because we're talking about a progressive disease. Often it does result in a seizure, and the most, one of the most common causes for sudden onset of seizures in an adult is alcohol withdrawal. Yet that's often not talked about and sometimes not even questioned by the doctors. Have you stopped taking medications recently? Have you started taking medicines recently? Have you stopped alcohol? And again, many people are not asked that question and many people don't think to volunteer. It's very important and one of the things I know a lot of patients are very concerned about being judged by their health care provider. And so they very greatly minimize their amount of alcohol use. But you have to realize that you need to be really honest, especially if you've had a sudden seizure, especially if you're about to be hospitalized, and we'll talk a little bit more about that really important for people to know how much you've been drinking. When David, when you talk about people saying, oh, I can go a while without drinking, it's interesting to say, well, when was the last time you went a month? Very often we hear the last time they went 
went a whole month without drinking was five or six years ago, that they may be able to go three or four days, they may be able to go even a week, but when you ask them about what makes them start back drinking again, very often they start to describe some of the symptoms of withdrawal and the thought, the fact that they are thinking about it. They don't necessarily understand this is a craving. They don't necessarily understand that the physical compulsion to use alcohol again is often one of the ways to stave off alcohol withdrawal. Last night as I was talking with uh, one of my sons about this radio show today, he reminded me of a scene in Leaving Las Vegas and actually pulled it up on um, YouTube. So you might want to just check it out. The withdrawal alcohol withdrawal scene. So there's a scene in which Nicolas Cage wakes up and he's having these full body twitches and he's shaking and he's unsteady and he can't walk and he's sweating and he's trying to get over into the kitchen to get some alcohol and trying to open the bottle and his hand is shaking so much he can't hold the bottle, can't open the bottle and he is in full alcohol withdrawal at that point. It's a brief little scene. It lasts maybe a minute and a half, but it's a very good representation of what we're talking about and the seriousness of what happens when you are in alcohol withdrawal. Most of the time, people can go 24 hours, 48 hours, even 72 hours with only minor discomfort, but our real risky time is day three through day seven. Those are the days at which um, if you've been abstinent from alcohol, you may find that you are having uh, onset of symptoms. Those are the days that we really begin to worry about the possibility of seizures and about going into DTs or delirium tremens and about the need to be hospitalized. So those are the dangerous days, and most people, when they say they can go a while without drinking, they can usually go three or four days, and then that, that need to start drinking again is pretty powerful. It's their body saying, we're about to have an autonomic nervous system storm. Something really bad is coming, and they are compelled to drink. Well, and I think those early signs of the withdrawal, um, are the ones that are, are so frequently not recognized. Um, many people will have day one and they've made it and they're fine and they may, you know, have been clinching and um, knowing that they're just kind of white knuckling it through this first day. Um, the second day, there's pacing, there's agitation, there's irritability, and those aren't necessarily recognized as withdrawal. Right. They're recognized as all these people around me just keep getting on my nerves. Um, or they're recognized as life is just annoying. But those, in, in actuality, are withdrawal symptoms. Um, and the brain is amazing at getting to a point of saying, okay, I've gone far enough, I can have a drink now. Um, and having a very valid reason pop into mind as to go have a drink. Um, so, so people don't even realize they're not making it that third day. Right. Real often. When you're asking them about the history, they don't realize 
oh yeah, I'm starting drinking at day two and a half or day two um, because their brain just makes it just a normal thing to go have a drink, and they're they're staying in that pattern. Um, and and when you really get right down to it, if there's another family member present, they're probably not even making 24 hours most of those times. So many of you may have felt some of the very early symptoms of alcohol withdrawal. Those are the symptoms of a hangover. So when you have been drinking and when you wake up in the morning, this doesn't happen to everybody, and certainly our patients who are often diagnosed with addiction related to alcohol, they don't have hangovers. So they don't necessarily have this warning sign. But many people who have had too much to drink in a short period of time the night before may wake up with a headache, feeling sluggish, feeling nauseated, fatigue, just feeling very unwell, sweaty, kind of stinky feeling. And that is some of the early signs of withdrawal. So for many people, that's a warning. For many people, that is a, um, a reason to not drink anymore. But for some people, that becomes the trigger to drink again. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more specifically about some of the symptoms of withdrawal and what you need to look for. Please stay tuned. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, 
You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today, David Donaldson and I are having a conversation about alcohol, specifically alcohol withdrawal. We were saddened by the news of Nelson Ellis's um, death from alcohol withdrawal and very grateful that his family was willing to share the details of his death and have that serve as a warning to others. This is so important, and as we were talking in the first segment, David, important for people to understand how serious alcohol withdrawal is and how potentially life-threatening and even deadly, even if you're in the hospital, even if you're in the ICU. Even if you're not that old of a human being. Um, alcohol withdrawal can be some for someone who's abusing alcohol. It can happen in their 20s, it can happen in their 30s, or it can happen in their 70s. It's not age-related. It is not because um, Mr. Nelson, or Mr. Um, Ellis was 39. And so, yes, this is not something that you should think, oh, well, I'm young, I'm healthy, I haven't had a problem, that I'm not going to have a problem. You might have a problem. I mean, and one aspect that has complicated the situation is that um, there are a lot more drugs in the picture. Right. Um, Many people that are getting to this place have been um, using a prescription of some sort of benzodiazepine. They've had Xanax or Valium as part of dealing with the anxiety, not realizing that that's early signs of the the withdrawal that they were already experiencing, or they may have mixed in other substances that complicate the situation. But but just speaking about alcohol and stopping and looking at this, the um, National Institute of of Alcohol and Drug Abuse estimates that 88,000 people a year die from alcohol-related causes, and it's the fourth leading cause of preventable death among adults in America. So with that in mind, alcohol withdrawal is one of the, one of the reasons that, that so many of these people die. And while certainly I think the attention that we have paid in the nation over the last couple of years on opiate um, deaths and opiate withdrawal, drug overdose deaths, totaled 52,000 last year. So compared to the 88,000 from alcohol, it doesn't get talked about. People, most people, and many physicians, unfortunately, do not realize how serious alcohol withdrawal is. But, and it doesn't get the diagnosis. 
Right. It'll be congestive heart failure. It'll be gastric issues. It'll be um, a bleeding issue uh, when the, the cause was alcohol intoxication or alcohol withdrawal. We see this all the time. Someone goes into the hospital. They've been drinking daily or drinking heavily. They don't tell the doctor. They're in the hospital for a procedure. Maybe they're having surgery. About day three or four, one of the things that the nurses begin to notice is that the person's blood pressure has shot up, that their heart rate has increased, that they're now running a fever. So thus begun begins the million-dollar workup to find out what is the infection, what is going on with this person, why do they have a fever, and they get blood studies, and they may have CT scans, and they may have all kinds of consultations from doctors wondering why this person keeps getting sicker and sicker. Now they're sweating. Now they have a tremor. Now they're having nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Now they're starting to have a headache. There are all of these symptoms that begin to happen that they cannot find a cause for. And by day five, the person's now having seizures. This is not uncommon. And they may go through this whole thing and still not be diagnosed with alcohol withdrawal. They may be told they have a seizure disorder, and now for the next year they can't drive a car, they have to take this seizure medicine. All of these things and all of these consequences happen and nobody has figured out. Well, and because this can happen to really nice people. Yes. People who aren't exhibiting signs of alcohol use disorder, and they're not out there drunk driving, and they're not out there causing all kinds of problems in society. This can happen to people who are just regular, everyday afternoon, go home and have a cocktail and relax people. Um, when they've been having a regular drink, and suddenly they're not having a regular drink, the, the brain is likely to have some, some reactions to that. And they're pretty significant. What happens in the brain when you use alcohol, there's a neurotransmitter released. Besides dopamine, which is the pleasure, the one that makes you feel good, that gives you the buzz, that gives you the high, there's another neurotransmitter that is released called GABA. GABA is the calm you down, help you relax, help you sleep neurotransmitter. So you drink a little alcohol, you get GABA released. Now our brain likes to be in balance, and there's a competing neurotransmitter called glutamate that competes with the GABA. And the glutamate is the get you up, get you going, get you focused neurotransmitter. So our body likes us to have glutamate and GABA to keep us balanced. When you've been drinking, now you've got more GABA being released than glutamate. So your brain ratchets, ratchets, ratchets up the amount of glutamate. And then you drink more because you develop a tolerance and you have to keep using more alcohol to get the same effect. So the more alcohol, more GABA, hence more glutamate, and you see this dance going on. Then, for whatever reason, be it Lent, be it you're having um, 
your in-laws are moving in with you for the weekend, uh, you've got to go have surgery, you stop using alcohol. Now you have all of this unopposed glutamate, which becomes neurotoxic, and it begins to increase your blood pressure, increase your body temperature, increase your heart rate. And that is one of the things that we see with patients. Now, some of the difficulty is many of these folks are on medications for blood pressure or for rapid heart rate, and sometimes they're on those medications because they've been drinking, and that hasn't been put together, and they are developing chronic hypertension or rapid heartbeat or even something called atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular beat of the heart. These are directly, often directly related to alcohol use. But they're taking these medications, and so we don't always see the hypertension. We don't always see the rapid heartbeat, but an elevated body temperature is one of the common things that we see breaking through. So that's one of the things that we look at really closely. The Addiction Research Foundation has developed the Clinical Institute Withdrawal Assessment for Alcohol, or we call it the CWA. And this is a list of a number of symptoms that um, you rate on a scale of zero to seven uh, that you can have that indicate impending uh, seizures, seizures um, impending delirium tremens from alcohol. And so these are the ones that we really look at. Um, so it starts off with, with the, the ones that I think people are fairly familiar with, nausea, vomiting, tremors. Those are the, the stereotypical when, when you're looking at somebody who's in withdrawal, are they shaking, are, are they tremoring? And we, when we ask them to test for the tremors, you should extend your hand straight in front of you, your arm straight in front of you at shoulder height, and then hold your arms out like that and watch the fingers, watch the hands. Sometimes someone else may need to actually touch your fingertips, hold on to them, and see if they can um, detect tremor. But usually it becomes um, pretty noticeable. Um, and again, so we're looking at all of these on a, on a scale of 0 to 7, with 0 being no tremors um, or 0 being no nausea or vomiting, and 7 being a, a constant um, nausea, frequent dry ease and vomiting, or with tremors, severe and severe even with arms extended. And so you're, ma- you're scoring this and going on down through the scale. The next one we're looking at is, is sweating. Um, it's got a clinical term with it that just my brain freaks out when I see. Paroxysmal. paroxysmal which means Can you say not, that five times? <laughs> not in a row, um, which means that um, you're sweating sometimes and sometimes not, that um, you're not sweating because it's really hot outside or your air conditioning is broken. You're sweating at times that you wouldn't normally be sweating, and then sometimes you're not sweating. Um, I know frequently we ask about night sweats, or we used to ask about night sweats. Mm-hmm. Is, there, is that different than this, or is there a reason that we're asking for that particular time of day? Well, the thing is, most people are drinking in the early evening, and when they go to bed, they're waking up because they're going into alcohol withdrawal. 
and the sweating and the anxiety and the rapid heartbeat that they feel when they wake up is actually alcohol withdrawal breaking into their sleep. Now they can't go three or four hours without drinking. And one of the things that we'll see our patients do is have a drink or smoke a cigarette. You'll see them use something to help them they're asking their doctor for sleep medicine, and often the sleep medicine that they might take is a benzodiazepine that will relieve some of the symptoms. So that's a sign of you can't go very long without drinking if you're sweating in the night. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> then we look at anxiety. Um, zero, no anxiety. One, mild anxiety. Four, five, moderate anxiety, guarded. Um, and seven, um, equal to like an acute panic attack or, or severe um, um, delirium or acute schizophrenic reactions. Um, it's interesting because people don't necessarily recognize anxiety um, unless it's at a point where they where they're able to say, "Yes, I'm feeling really anxious." Um, but they'll have earlier signs. They might be looking around quite a bit. They might be sitting down, standing up, pacing around a little bit. Um, because they're they're just not able to still themselves or calm themselves, and they won't necessarily label that. So, so helping a person with with the labels um, in the midst of this is crucial. And asking them, do you feel nervous, or how do you feel inside? Because the next one is agitation, and this is something that we actually observe. This is where the person can't sit still. Now, anxiety and agitation sometimes go together, but you can have one without the other. And you don't have to have all of these, by the way. But the agitation, uh, zero is they've got normal activity. They can sit on the couch, watch a movie, or they can uh, get up and uh, walk around the house. Um, but when you start seeing them being fidgety, they're bouncing their legs, they can't sit still, they're sitting down, they're getting up, they're moving around, or they begin to, they can't sit still at all, they're actually pacing back and forth, or, or literally their body is starting to twitch, that would be a seven that is much more severe. When we come back after our break, we're going to talk about the other, um, for symptoms, five symptoms of alcohol withdrawal, and then tell you how to score this and how to understand it. So thanks for listening. Please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, 
it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and with me is David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. We're talking about alcohol withdrawal and some of the signs and symptoms that you should be paying attention to in yourself or in your loved ones because they're actually probably more common than most people understand, and we certainly know they're more dangerous than a vast majority of people understand. So before the break, we talked about the first five of the ten symptoms. We talked about nausea, vomiting, tremor, sweating, anxiety, and agitation. There are five more um, symptoms that certainly are uh, of increasing concern. So um, the first one is tactile disturbances. This has to do with feelings on your skin, feelings in your body. And when you ask people, are you feeling like you're itching, like you've got needles and pins, burning sensation, numbness, do you feel like you've got bugs crawling on or under your skin? These are the kinds of questions that we would ask. And, of course, zero is none. And we began to see that um, with a, a score of three is moderate itch, itching, pins, needles, burning, or numbness. When we get to four, they're having a potentially hallucinations. They may actually not just feel the bugs crawling on their skin. They may be actually starting to see the bugs crawling on their skin. And they can have, this can become really severe, and this can be continuous and very frightening and disturbing and very uncomfortable for the person. Which takes us into jumping over to the, the next one down to visual disturbances. But before going there, I was wondering, as you were talking about the tactile disturbances, many people that, that are long-term drinkers will have issues with peripheral neuropathy. Right. Where they're having actual nerve damage in their feet. When somebody is coming to you that's already got those kind of symptoms, how do you deal with that on, a, on an alcohol withdrawal scale? Um, you would ask them if this is different than your usual feeling. Is it more intense? Has it gone further up your legs? 
is it in other parts of your body? So just like with our opiate withdrawal scale, one of the questions is, do you have back pain? Because part, one of the major symptoms of opiate withdrawal is you have back pain. And we do have patients that normally have back, have back pain. pain. So yeah. we have to ask them, is this more intense? Is this a different sensation? Is this um, pain in other areas that you don't normally have pain? So when you're talking with somebody about a neuropathy, you would ask them certainly, is this different? Is it more intense? Is it in other places? Has it spread up your legs or up your arms further than you usually have it? Okay. Um, itching is also real common with people who are alcoholics because of some of the difficulties with um, impairment of their liver. As they've been drinking for a while, their liver is not as efficient or effective at taking toxins out of their body. And so they often will just in general experience a lot of itching that's not related to a skin disease or mosquito bites or, you know, a dry skin. Um, this is an itching that's actually related to alcohol and its effect on their liver. And so if I'm hearing you right, this is toxins coming out of their body through their pores. Right. That's causing them to itch. Um, and, and this is something they could experience when they're drinking or not drinking. Exactly. And so also not necessarily part of the withdrawal scale. Right. And the importance of really stopping and asking the questions and finding out, is this different? Is this what you have already been experiencing? Right. Certainly if they're at a point of having... Um, the, the sensation of, of feeling bugs crawling. Um, some, some of these warning signs are warning signs that in and of themselves they need hospitalization. Right. So th those would be ones that, that our attention goes up really quickly that this is becoming a medical emergency that we need to take action. Exactly. Exactly. So the next one is auditory um, disturbances. Are you more aware of sounds around you? Are, do the sounds seem lar um, larger, louder, harsher? Are they frightening you? Are you hear hearing anything that is disturbing to you? Are you hearing things that you know are not there? And this has to do with um, the potential onset of auditory hallucinations, where they're hearing they're more sensitive to sounds all the way up to now they're continually hearing sounds, hearing voices, hearing things that are not there and they can't make it stop. It's a scary thing for patients when this happens. It really highlights that, that place in the brain where they kind of know something's wrong as opposed to someone who has schizophrenia and has hallucinations that they don't have the sensation that what they're seeing is not what's actually really there. Exactly. And this also speaks to the fact that this is severe disruption of the central nervous system, that things that are normally operating just fine are not, and that you have unstable vital signs, that your body is reacting, that your central and peripheral nervous system is becoming highly agitated, and your brain is firing in ways and in places that it normally does not. I know real often you talk about withdrawal as being um, um, kind of the opposites mm -hmm. of the substance that's being used. So like if they use cocaine and they're, it's a stimulant and they're getting all amped up and fired up, 
the withdrawal from that is that they're crashing and they can't stay awake and they end up sleeping for three or four days. With alcohol, the the alcohol is a chill out and, and mellow and be relaxed, and so everything is kind of going into um, sleep mode, and now it's waking up and waking up too quickly. And and pretty, pretty severely. Um, so um, when we continue to look, the next one is probably more common than the auditory um, hallucinations. So then we're looking at visual disturbances. Does um, light appear to be too bright? Is the color different? Is Does it hurt your eyes? Um, do you, Are you seeing things that are disturbing to you? Are you seeing things that you know are not there? Um, and again, on a zero to seven scale, um, with a four being moderate um, experience of hallucinations, um, beginning to notice things and see things, to a seven being continuous hallucinations. Um, and then the next one is headaches, fullness in the head. Does your head feel different? Does, does it feel like um, there's a band around your head, um, rating your dizziness and lightheadedness? Zero, not present at all, and again, seven, severely severe. And that's going back to the idea of a hangover. So if you're having head headaches in the morning after you've been out drinking the night before, that is one of the symptoms of alcohol withdrawal. Early withdrawal. It's those ones that, that for regular people, helps them never progress into alcoholism, and for alcoholics, one that they don't tend to experience until late in the game, and so they don't get that protective benefit. The last one um, of the ten is orientation and clouding of the sensorium. So this is where you're really moving into delirium, where not, now, now you are struggling with the, um, the fact that you're confused about where you are, you're confused about what day it is, you may even be confused about who you are. So the, um, the, this is uh, the, the hallmark of delirium, where now it's not that I know those pink elephants that I'm seeing dancing around my room are not really there, to now I'm believing those pink, ele pink elephants are actually there and I'm frightened by them. I can't do simple additions. I, I don't know what day it is. I don't know where I am or I don't know who I am or I don't know who you are. That is a very concerning state, and that is certainly one that that person needs to be in the um, in a hospital. So that's one of those ones that it's not on the zero to seven scale. It's actually looking at orientation. Right. And if the person is not oriented, then you are in a medical emergency room. Right. And that is um, that is very concerning. There can be many reasons for it, but a very common reason that is often missed or misunderstood is that it is alcohol withdrawal. I kind of want us to go back to agitation for a mm -hmm. minute um, because for family members who are dealing with somebody who's been drinking um, or, or had a relapse, agitation is something that they experience um, because the person is dealing with anger and dealing with frustration and dealing with shame. 
and a family member often wants to understand the relapse and wants to process the relapse and figure out what's going on, and they are met with, um, just leave me alone, I got this, I can handle it. So agitation often looks like a defense system to cover up embarrassment while a person is getting into a more and more dangerous situation with the potential for um, um, withdrawal symptoms. And something to be very much aware of, that it may be more than just a a psychological angst, but that this is actually a physical issue. Now, if you were to score maximum on all of these, wow, I've never seen it, but the total possible score is 67. Um, When I am talking to patients and going over the scale and showing the family members and the patients how to score this, I um, am very it's very important for me to tell them that if they score an eight or more, they have to start taking their withdrawal medication. If they score a 15 or more, they have to start driving to the emergency room. If they score greater than a 15, then I'm going to be calling 911 or asking them to call 911. These, um, it doesn't take a very high score for us to really have a high level of concern. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about withdrawal and what we can do about it. Please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and Medical Director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you. This is Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. I'm uh, talking today with David Donaldson, and we're talking about alcohol withdrawal and want to just be really clear with folks that this is a dangerous, potentially life-threatening medical emergency and that it is very important for you to share with your healthcare professionals, especially if you're being hospitalized, especially if you're being asked to stop alcohol, that you tell them very clearly 
um, what's going on. It's also really important for you to understand that, uh, and we encourage people to please do consider stopping drinking, but let a healthcare professional who knows how to safely detox you help you through that so that um, you don't have a terrible outcome like Mr. Ellis did. Part of um, the whole emphasis on the show was looking at, yes, alcohol withdrawal can be very, very dangerous and even fatal, but also the reality that alcohol itself can be very, very dangerous and, and is a, a leading contributor into a lot of different ways that people um, die. Um, and so not to be just too depressing with this, but I think really looking at at how alcohol impacts the body is just amazing. And I know in the work you do where, where you look at so many different blood levels um, and looking at the impact on with our patients, how often they are so amazed from, from the education they get from you as to the impact of, of alcohol. Yes, you're right, David. It affects every organ system in the body. And most of them in a not very good way. Most people, I think, are probably aware of alcohol's effect on the liver and the fact that one of the things that their doctor might say is, you have elevated liver enzymes, and so you might want to cut back on your drinking. So people are pretty aware that you can get cirrhosis, which is severe damage to the liver, and the liver is no longer working properly. This can lead to liver cancer. This can lead to all kinds of very severe medical problems. And um, certainly liver transplants are one of the most common reasons for that is related to the use of alcohol. So um, liver is pretty, pretty common. And it's one of those ones that, that people keep getting that mixed message from their medical doctors. You're you need to cut back, your, right. your enzymes are, are relatively high, and they cut back and they're, they're, their enzymes go back to normal, and they're getting this message that, oh, I just need to moderate my drinking. What they don't understand is that their liver is, is moving from a, a very amazing filter into a collection of scar tissues right. that gets to a point where it does not bounce back. And there's, there's not a, a, you know, a magical moment where we say, okay, you can't cross this line, your liver won't come back. It's just if they keep flirting with it, it gets to that place. And when blood flow can't go through the liver, then we see swelling of the, the blood vessels in the throat in the esophagus and esophageal varices where now these blood vessels are very large, very swollen, and sometimes can actually rupture, and this can be a cause of death. We also see sometimes the alcohol directly being toxic to the stomach and causing what we call gastritis. And people will sometimes be vomiting blood either from their esophagus, from these large blood vessels that are so swollen because the liver is now ineffective, but it can also be irritation to the lining of the stomach and they're having difficulty now um, and they may be having a lot of abdominal pain and a lot of issues related to, um, to vomiting and, um, and problems eating. It affects the pancreas, and the pancreas, um, as we know, is what um, provides insulin for us to moderate our blood sugar, but it also provides um, important enzymes that break down fats and proteins. 
and the pancreas will secrete these into our small intestine to help with the digestive process. But when you've been drinking, and again, this is sometimes related to the swelling of the liver and the scar tissue in the liver, the pancreas now can't excrete these enzymes like they're supposed to, and literally the pancreas starts eating itself. Those enzymes are now released into the pancreas. This is a very painful um, and very um, unfortunate kind of problem that many folks with alcohol um, heavy alcohol use or alcoholism will have. It affects the bone marrow. It affects um, the way in which the bone marrow works. And the purpose of the bone marrow is to make our blood cells, our white cells that fight infection, our red cells that carry oxygen, and our platelets that um, clot our blood. It just stops making as many cells, and cells are often released into the system that are bigger and more um, immature than they should be. So we start to see people having trouble fighting off infections. We see fatigue because their red cells aren't carrying oxygen like they should. And we see with the low platelets, now they're bruising very easily. Or if they cut themselves shaving, they're going to begin to have problems there. Okay, so we have to breathe. <laughs> We've just gone through practically every organ system. Except the brain, which is really bad. <laughs> so we know that it, um, um, from the PET scans, uh, or, yeah, the PET scans from, from um, the AMAN clinic, that alcohol, repeated alcohol use actually causes the brain shrinkage. Right. Um, um, but there's other areas. It affects the hippocampus in the brain, which is our memory center. And anyone drinking enough alcohol may experience something called blackout, where they're walking, talking, doing things that um, other people think are relatively normal, but the person has no memory for them the next day. And this um, is transient for most people based on their acute use of alcohol, but it can move into a more severe permanent what we call an alcoholic dementia, where their ability to remember or to learn new things is completely gone now, and this is a direct toxic effect of alcohol. And gets to a place where that's not reversible. Exactly. Exactly. Many of our organs are pretty forgiving and can regenerate and can keep, and they work really hard to keep trying to do what they're supposed to do. But with chronic exposure to alcohol, even what we would think of as moderate to low-risk drinking can still begin to have effects on many of the organ systems of the body because it is a toxin. And it is very difficult for our body to be able to handle chronic repeated exposures to toxins. Well, and a toxin that continues to build up when all of the other organ systems are beginning to break down. Exactly. So lest we end this on a, um, a, a thoroughly depressing note, we want to make sure that we know that it is really important. We do have medications. We do have safe, helpful, relatively painless, in fact, for most people, pretty painless ways of helping them come off alcohol, of treating the withdrawal symptoms, of dealing with the anxiety, dealing with the agitation, the problems with sleep, and, um, and helping them to manage um, this process. 
usually a detox is going to last anywhere from five days to a couple of weeks. Some of this may, be need to, may need to be done in the hospital based on other medical conditions or problems that the person has. But more and more, we're able to use a medication called gabapentin, and we use this quite often at the Atlanta Healing Center as a very safe and helpful way to get people to stop using alcohol and to help them get their neurotransmitters back to more normal levels. The GABA in gabapentin is referring to that GABA neurotransmitter, and it helps their brain to produce GABA in a way that um, balances it and um, relieves the symptoms of withdrawal. So the classic medication that's, that's used um, for alcohol withdrawal at most detox centers is, is usually in the benzodiazepine family. Right. Um, um, Ativan for acute agitation, and then they'll use transine or they'll use um, some other benzodiazepines right. to, to help um, stop the risk of seizure and to help with that withdrawal process. Um, people often have a hard time letting go of that medication, though. Right, <laughs> because so, that's highly addictive in and of itself as well. And it just kind of becomes the next problem for them. Exactly. And it's um, in, in acute benzodiazepine withdrawal, you can also have the exact same symptoms. So when we're doing this as an outpatient, if the person is stable and if it is safe, then we will use gabapentin, which is an anti-seizure medicine that um, helps stabilize the GABA center in their brain and helps them relieve the symptoms and also be able to um, tolerate some of the confounding symptoms that people have after withdrawal, which have to do with they're feeling very anxious, they can't sleep very well, and they're having cravings. So the gabapentin will really help reduce all of those symptoms and allow the person to function um, normally in their life. Cravings are a big problem for patients, and we do have, in addition to gabapentin, we have a couple of FDA-approved medications for the treatment of um, cravings. One is um, naltrexone, which is an opiate blocker, and for some people, alcohol also affects the opiate receptors in their brains. These are generally people who get a real euphoria, who drink to make a good time a better time, as opposed to people who use alcohol to help make a bad situation a little bit better situation. And, um, and so that is um, often helpful. You can take it by mouth or you can take it in a once-a-month shot. Um, and then in addition to the medications that we're using to help people not have the seizures and to begin the healing process, um, there's, there's a number of supplements that, that you'd utilize to help in restoring the, the brain's natural function and the body's function. Um, I, I, vitamin D is, is the big talk of the town right now that everybody's getting restored on their vitamin D. Um, so that's something else that helps with the picture. Exactly, and especially vitamin B1 or thiamine. This is critically important um, when people have been using alcohol because of the difficulty. Um, the B vitamins are really important for our central and peripheral nervous system. And when you use alcohol, it is a diuretic, meaning it causes you to lose more fluid than you 
take in. And it washes out the B vitamins and vitamin C, the water-soluble vitamins. We can't store these. Our body can't make them, so we have to be sure to replace them. So we are usually replacing, for sure, thiamine, B12, um, B9 or folate, and a number of other B vitamins are really important. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.